All right. So we're actually going to begin now. Wait. That's right. I don't know if it's going to get loud. Anyways. So welcome back to, uh, I guess this is episode two. Anyways, of <laughs> Happens in Ad Tech. Uh, we are here with Josh Sternberg. Please tell me I said that right. It is. And we're here to talk. I've never had a chance to do it. I'm incredibly excited to talk industry journalism, ad tech journalism. Uh, at an, it feels like especially timely moment for the industry, but like in your life as well. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, kick it off, Eric. Well, yeah, Josh, you know, you had two really big pieces that I think uh, were really talked about quite a bit in the community. Uh, one of them about really sort of the impact of uh, coronavirus monetization, keywords being blocked. Um, so all the challenges and, and, and all of the all of the impact to to business. So uh, in the buy sell process and, and obviously through a lot of ad tech. That's the clicks are up, but money is down one. Correct. Yeah. Uh, the good old publisher paradox. The publisher oh, yeah. paradox. Especially new, right? news publishers. I mean, the best days for news are some of the worst days for monetization. Yeah. So, um, you know, what did you what did you sort of discover along the way there sort of building up to that? to that uh, piece and, and, and what, what were some of the insights that, that you learned, um, you know, having talked to so many people about, about the impact? So I'm going to come back to this from a perhaps more roundabout approach. Um, the thing that really has been at top of mind these days is the idea that for the last 15 or so years, media companies have had the the race for scale, right? Let's get as big as we can get. Let's get as large amounts of traffic as possible. And that is how we are going to justify our existence. Do you think is some amount of that to blame for VC funding entering this arena and, you know, in the BuzzFeed, you know, BuzzFeed yeah. vice kind of way where like you have to show scale and you have to show yes. growth quick? Absolutely. Um, we are not a patient industry. So true. So true. Right. Yeah. Um, and and the lack of patience leads to and like the 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 weird thing is like as I think about the broad industry, right? Like you know you bucket out as newspaper to print, right? Newspaper magazines. You've got digital pure plays. You've got TV. And you look how all of these approach making money at its root, right? We have the, the ad-based model, but those, those eyeballs are not weighted the same, right? So Ryan, you go to the Atlantic, that eyeball is worth different amount of money than going to um, BuzzFeed, which is Hope, different. Hopefully more. Going to, <laughs> hopefully, than going to uh, ABC news. Right. And the, the weird thing that I was, I always couldn't square is that like, if you're trying to take that TV model, that scale is going to mean the more eyeballs, the more money, but you were never really to get that equation right on digital. Why would you keep doing it? Well, in you know, the it doesn't okay. even work on the TV model. I mean, nightly, nightly news is a, has been a loss leader for networks forever. I mean, it was a joke on the network. The, the, the 
movie. Oh. <laughs> and he's back. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it's, it's, you know, the, the soft news morning pays for the, the hard news nights. And that's constantly what it's been. And not just the three out, like, so, you know, with, with the morning news, like their first hour is usually where, where brands are like, well, we can, we'll give you money for it, but we want other things with it. It's those other hours where brands are able to introduce their messaging in more, let's call them sponsory ways. Um, because that news between the seven and eight o'clock hours, that's where the news is traditionally has been met, but models has changed slightly. But this idea of the race of, of this race to scale, you know, going back to your your initial question, I mean, it just it just screwed up so many things and lots of thinking. Because when you're racing to scale, you're trying to figure out, all right, well, what can I inject to get to that scale? And I'm sure like you guys see this all the time, right? Like how much how much fraud do you see on a daily basis? And why is that fraud there? Is it because it's easy to do or it's because it's it's going to goose up numbers for folks? That, I mean, I know there are some companies out there that are afraid to perform anti-fraud measures for fear of what it does to their scale. I do know that exists, which is a terrifying thing to think about. So as we see this race for scale at a time when advertisers are pulling back budgets, and look, it's not a, it's not a direct one-to-one cause, cause relation. Uh, sorry, my brain is jello. Um, totally get it. Not a direct one. Not a direct one-to-one relationship, right? Because the agencies play a big role in this. They have payments that are ridiculously long, right? Like you send a, you get a deal today. Um, you're not going to get paid for anywhere between 90 and 180 days. So if you're a publisher, how are you going to make money, right? Even though that agency is sitting on that cash that they got from their client so that they can collect the interest so that they can pay the people, right? Look, the whole entire media industry is just a giant scam. And the ability to navigate this is going to show which companies are not as scammy. You're going to see some big time, big named digital publications cease to be when this is all done. Josh, you know, you, you talked a, a, a little bit about um, you know, some of the, some of the companies, um, that, you know, are, are employed or are used to, to block certain keywords and, and, uh, and obviously there was some, there was some trade association or some, some, uh, help, you know, that, that, uh, some folks were really, um, trying to bring in to the situation once, uh, people realized a lot of brands and advertisers were starting to target away or, or start to block certain terms. What did you sort of learn about that process um, with all the tools that were being used? I mean, one, it's not surprising that advertisers didn't want to have their ads run against stories about pandemic and death and virus. But I also think it's a lazy way of thinking, right? I was, well, and I, I was going to say, I was like, it feels weird that that's the time they care about context. Right, 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 right. So... And that's why, and look, and that's why I prefaced this with media as a scam, right? Also, 
Like, think about this. We, we know that display ads don't work, right? For what's the, the rate now? Was it 0.1%? Is that the click-through rate? You're not going to get a high click-through. But, you know, all those, uh, there are a lot of very highly valued attribution companies or companies that dabble in attribution that would tell you it's more than the click. Right, 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 right. But we've also developed banner blindness. Like we don't see ads. People have ad blockers. So you put these, these pieces of the puzzle together and you're like, wait a minute. Like if I'm a brand, I'm okay with having my ad run right before the president's press conference or right after the president's press conference. I'm okay with my ad running on unsavory sites. I'm not okay if there's a story that has to do, deal with a pandemic and people are not in the mood to advertise, uh, in, in, to buy what you're selling in the one in a thousand chance that they are actually going to click through that. Like the logic isn't there. It, it, and it's, it's not there because people don't think and they don't care. Like it's just- yeah, it's I've never been one to believe that like, it's, it's such a, you can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't tell me that I'm only buying audience, I'm only buying audience, but wait, this context could be harmful to my brand. Well, then that presupposes that there is a context that is positive for your brand, regardless of audience. And that, that there's an even other presupposition there that people are actually doing the mental arithmetic to associate your ad on that page. Right. right. And like other than, again, other than pure context. So your ad on Breitbart, someone like, it doesn't matter what the article is about. The article could be a fantastically glowing piece about, I don't know, something every, everyone agrees on how Meryl Streep is a great actor, but like it, because it's on Breitbart, that's what, pe that is the thing that matters the most, the context. Yeah. Like, Again, like if I'm reading, if I am reading a news story, it doesn't matter what ad shows up. Like I'm not, like I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me as a reader. Maybe look, use case of one idiot, who knows, right? But at the same time, you know, like to me, it's, 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 it's a, it's a playoff of that old saw that, um, do you know what would a, uh, an industry standard is it's just a lie that everyone agrees upon and here it's like well right why do we agree upon this now if you are underwriting something right you're like vox's explainer brought to you by mcdonald's as a reader i can make the assumption that mcdonald's is supporting this content as opposed to seeing a 250 by 250 ad somewhere on the page there's just it's just not a there's not a logical way that we're doing this business because people are not logical and this business is not logical so before we because we can get down this for for a long long way i actually want to take a step back because sure. i i never had a chance to to interview a journalist uh so i just want to start like no, no one goes to college to do what i me or eric do so <laughs> No, I don't imagine anyone goes to a journalism school to to be in a media industry trade. Maybe, possibly. I guess, like so. David, I didn't, David I, Carr. I didn't. I didn't go to journalism school. That's what. So, how did you get in yeah. this? Um, so the the 
20 year story into 30 seconds. I am a failed musician. I was in a jazz rock improv band when I was in college and I, we were fine, but not good uh, to the point where the input matched the perceived output in terms of becoming a rock star. Um, so when we dissolved the band, I was in graduate school at the time because I had entered the workforce in the dot-com recession. And so I went back to school and I just fell in love with academia. So after graduate school, I was a professor for a couple of years, moved from New Jersey to Brooklyn to live with my girlfriend because it didn't make sense to, um, our relationship was at a part where it's either, you know, we break up or we figure out how to live together and she wasn't living in New Jersey. So I moved into New Jersey, into New York, had to find a job because it wasn't viable to continue teaching in New Jersey, crossing the um, East River and the Hudson River. Uh, tripped into public relations, was in public relations for a few years, but I started writing. Um, Lehman imploded. I got laid off from the agency that I was at, started my own communications consultancy for a few years, but also continued to write. Did some uh, freelance writing for Mashable, which led to the Huff Post, which led to Ryan, your publication, writing for the Atlantic. And then hey, that got- I didn't me, know that. Yeah, that got me a full-time staff writer's gig at Digiday. And I covered media at Digiday for a few years. Then I got a phone call. Which is where we met. That's where we met. That's right. And then I got a phone call from the chief revenue officer at the Washington Post at the time saying, hey, I've been reading your stuff about native advertising. We need to do something. Uh, Jeff Bezos bought us a few months ago. Do you want to come build and run this thing? And I said, sure, let's try it. So I did that for a little while. Then I got snatched up by NBC News to do the same thing, but at scale with a TV network behind me. Uh, that was great until it wasn't. I got laid off, needed to find a job, meandered through the wilderness for 10 months, and then landed at Adweek. And now I'm back in the wilderness. That was the part that we hadn't got to yet, but um, yeah, and very recently. Yeah, um, Friday. Uh, which again, I am incredibly sorry to hear. This is same. And look, it's it it stinks, right? Getting laid off stinks. Not having the daily routine stinks. Not having paycheck stinks. Uh, not having health insurance in a global pandemic stinks. But uh, there are many, many, many more people worse off than I am right now. Um, you know, let's, you know, call a spade a spade. I'm a white Jewish man in media. I'll find something. Um, and if not, you know, I, Amazon's hiring warehouse people. Instacart is hiring delivery people. Like there are jobs. I can do something. You know, nothing is beneath me. Um, Still, like that's a pretty fantastic mindset to have, regardless. Look, I can, I, I like to consider myself a pretty 
like borderline normal person and uh that i don't think this fresh i would have as as clean a view a worldview as you do so i've like i said this this isn't the first time that i've been laid off um when i got laid off from nbc uh two weeks prior to that i found out that i was having my second kid so i don't know it's not like this is good or normal but I can navigate this as best I can. And again, like worse comes to worse. Like you, you, you do what you have to do. We are, you know, we're there, there's, there are jobs everywhere. And if it means doing something that I didn't want to do, but I need to, the needs take over the wants. It's, I mean, Hopefully I can go a couple months if, if need be, not 10 months. I can't do 10 months again. I, I go crazy, especially with a five and a half year old and a two and a half year old. Um, but like, look, th there's freelance opportunities, thought leadership crap. I can, you know, get into PR. I can bring up my consultancy again. So could, this yeah. is going to lead me pretty seamlessly into what is the turning into to me one of the more meta articles i've ever read which was the final one that you posted for ad week crazy right which is entirely talking about all of the layoffs and furloughs and job uh, and salary reductions that the media industry writ large has dealt with so taking aside what would currently happen just in the the writing of that what was it like um a was there, how much was left on the cutting room floor is the first thing I'm curious about. Like, was it mostly color commentary or is there entire, like, is there news yet to drop that you just couldn't get enough people to yeah. say it was going to happen? Yeah. So there are, um, so it's interesting. Like I wrote that before the Vox announcement. So I knew that the was Vox... Was I was coming. about to say, was, was that news to you then, the Vox announcement, or had so you heard I was, that? I was, I was still reporting that out. I had, I had heard, but I had nothing confirmed. Um, and I know that there's, there's more, not, from, not necessarily from Vox, but I know that there are a couple of large digital, pure, pure play digital media companies that are going to have similar cuts in the coming week, maybe weeks. Um, yeah, look, man, it's it's not great. You know, publishers are getting hit. Look, so it's the 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 funny thing is, right? So we all got swept up in that pivot to video, and publishers got screwed because Facebook screwed them and because publishers are dumb. That's, we'll put that aside for a second. Um, then publishers started to pivot to events because like events are foolproof. You can't fuck up an event, right? Like people will pay a lot of money to go see interesting things. And, and sponsors will pay a lot of money to. That's to right. That's right. And nobody in the industry was thinking that a zoonotic pandemic is going to force everyone 
inside their homes for months on end. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're seeing all of these companies that have these giant events teams that are make that, you know, they maybe 10 years ago, three to 5% of their revenue was from events are now 30 to 50% of their revenue. Oh yeah. No, it's, I mean, events became huge. I know and not only just on the publishing side, but the buy side very much liked them. Experiential was a word I heard so many times in the last 12 months or months or read on an RFP and a look for that or, or an extension into. Um, so then what was it like to be in a media company reporting about, you know, the, the, uh, Hey, I'm talking to a guy that, write, that writes and gets paid for writing. Is it the devil's at the door or the lions at the door? I just do the sword of Damocles. There you, that, you know what? I don't have a classic upbringing or uh, uh, education, so I couldn't tell you what that meant either. It's, you know, just the, the, the sort of Damocles that hangs over our heads, just waiting to slice. Um, so, yeah, was it for you guys on the media beat? I mean, which is hard, all man. about... We- it's hard. It's hard. And, you know, you... Media reporting had, up until 2008, not been a thing, right? Like, media reporting became a thing when the financial crisis happened and media companies started laying off and firing people and shutting down. Um, you know, you might have had a media reporter at a couple of things, at a couple of publications, but it, was, it wasn't as widespread. Um, but we'll come back to that for a second because that, there is something about media reporting that, that is, is core to how I built my team and how I think about media reporting. There are a lot of media reporters out there that are more media critics. They focus on what's happening in, in the newsroom or they focus what's happening um, in the boardroom. And that's fine. I am interested in that in a drive-by kind of way. Um, or when it is directly related to the business. I am more interested in how the business works. This is why I've tried to talk to as many adapts folks as possible, as many media buyers as possible. Because I can understand how a media business works by talking to the people that see that flow of money, not necessarily talking about how a newsroom is structured. So as we're covering the media business as a media company, it's it's hard to not see how all of this plays out for us. Yeah, that's what like I feel like I would. You're you're almost constantly evaluating what you hear and like from the good or bad companies, and then looking at your own what your own company is doing. Like I feel like it would it would take an incredible amount of alcohol to get me to stop trying to connect those two dots. <laughs> yes. Um, and when you have, when you are a media reporter covering the business of media and you see your publication 
doing things that are the opposite of what you are explaining to readers of what not to do, right? It's, it's frustrating. And, and even talking to media reporters at general publications who cover the business of media, where they have to try, they're, you know, they're trying to explain like, look, we're covering this. You should be paying attention to what we're saying because the examples that we're showing is bad examples. We're doing that same behavior. Let's maybe check that a little bit. Um, so it's, it's, it's a challenge when as a media reporter and you're, you know, taking a step back for a second, um, you know, never been a crime reporter, never been a war correspondent where. Yeah. You know, earlier you described it to us as uh, yeah. uh, you, you've never been a real reporter, which. Right. Was All a, right. Look, right. Like, I don't know what that means, but. My, I never had to, you know, if I'm a police reporter, never had to go knock on the door of, of a family who just lost a person in a crime to get their statement. I mean, that's, that's devastating as a reporter. And that, that, that wears you down. Or if you are a war correspondent and you are getting shot at, or you're, you're putting yourself into danger. Um, but at the meta level of writing about media and the destruction of our industry every day, multiple times a day, it's tiring and it's, it's, it's sad. And the thing is, is that if you don't treat it with empathy, you know, how do you write a story about a company that just laid off a hundred people? without trying to put yourself into that person's shoes. And that's... What is it like when every other day it feels like that? But okay, so without going too far into it, uh, just because we have a little bit more time, I want to wrap this up. But I do, I feel like this is cheating asking this question to a journalist. But um, using your crystal ball, looking around the corner a bit, a, do you see anything that's noteworthy or do you see anything that to you differentiates a good company versus just like the rest of us? The trick is in how you define value. So news by definition is commodity, right? Like a news event happens and everybody and their mother writes about it. Why should I go to the New York Times versus the Washington Post versus the Wall Street Journal versus MSNBC or whomever that's covering this event that's happening? Why do, I, why do you go to certain publications? You go because you have a one-way relationship with the writer. It's the same thing with podcasts. You have a one-way relationship with the podcast that you listen to. And where you can, as a media company, where you provide value is finding those writers that align with your editorial vision. Um, you know, the, the, one of the things that I, I, I would tell my, my, my staff was, don't worry about it, just fucking write. 
because people are coming. They want, they want to know what you know, but they also want to hear like what you have to say. And if you have nothing to say, move on. Like not, not in career, just go to the next story. Um, because you know, you'll, you'll, you know, writers will lament and bemoan about the blank screen that's staring after doing all of this reporting. I don't understand that. If I, you know, and maybe it's because I have the luxury of writing what I want, when I want. Um, my job was to manage a team to get the best out of them and to protect and defend them and advocate for their ideas when, when necessary. Um, a lot of the things that I did write over the last two and a half years were either things that I really wanted to say as well as things that I had to say so that way other reporters can spend their time focusing on the things that they wanted to say, not having to say, if that makes any sense to you. A little, a little bit. I think I, I can read between the lines there. Um, well, you know, I think what, what's, uh, what's great is, um, you know, your perspective on all these things. And what we want to do is uh, check in from time to time. Hopefully you'll come back, hang out with us again. Uh, things are going to keep evolving. And we'd love to keep getting your perspective on stuff. Um, and, uh, and we'll continue the discussion. Thanks yeah, for My, my yeah, hope is to get, we'll, we'll get one of these together with a bunch of you journalists. So then I can... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you want that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have. I'll be able to mute you guys. So <laughs> um, I've right. got. I've, I've got nothing but time on my hands now. So <laughs> what are well, what are what are you guys seeing right now? Right, like how have, how, you know, how have deals been been structured these days? It still it still feels very very early days to me for sort of call it the the second we're talking inning four five and six we are you know it, it's you we've gone back buyers seem to have come back from the like oh shit we got to get out of here and now they're the ones that are braver are the ones that are getting good i i what i consider good um information are trying to enter they're just trying to figure out the best way like and i get it man how can how can you be toyota in this moment but like actually still being on the top of people's minds. I, I think this is when, this is actually when you start to see who, like who's good at this and who's just been like getting a paycheck. And that's, that's such a good point. Cause I think that, so what we learned in 2008 that we are seeing again now is in a time of recession, publishers lower their ad creative standards. That's why we saw that, that huge influx of belly fat ads in 2008. And, you know, all those, those whack-a-mole garbage. Well, yeah, because th this is also when people come out of the woodwork guaranteeing revenue. And, like, if, right. you're, if you're desperate for that number, uh, and this is kind of where they, the, the feed off that desperation comes. That's right. My hope, my hope is 12 years later we're a little bit wiser to it. But Some so I was, I saw last week, I was at SNL's YouTube page and there are a couple other places like premium publishers around the web where the pre-roll was a Walmart ad. And the Walmart ad was not about 
you know, it wasn't a, a direct response ad. It was a thank you ad to their employees. And in covering Walmart for the last 10 years, I know that they basically bucket people into three groups. There are people who love Walmart because it's the, the place in their town where they go get their shit and it's affordable for them and they are treated like kings. There are people who absolutely hate Walmart because of corporate policies and corporate greed and you know, no family should be worth however much the Waltons are worth. And then there's the people in the middle. They're like, it's a store. I gotta go in, I gotta get something. Walmart focuses their marketing historically to that middle group and to the people that love them group. They don't care about the people that don't like them. And it's such a, it was such an interesting yet obvious insight, but you see how all brands try to be like, all right, we got we to talk to this group. Like this group doesn't like this, we got to change their, and they, they start going down this really, really weird path. But to see how Walmart was taking a creative based on thanking their employees, which ties to their broader employee message over the last five years. You build that up at scale by running it across platforms, devices, programs, it makes sense. And it's, it's actually good advertising for Walmart in this moment, because it's not telling you, the reader, the viewer, how great Walmart company is. It's telling you, the reader, how great the Walmart staff is, the employees, people like you and me who are suffering like you and me. And it's just really smart. I want to see more of that. I want to see more companies say, you know what, I want to get my message out there, support the journalism that's happening, but not be it in such a shitty way. When I was on the business side, I'm sorry, and I'm going long. Um, I, I haven't talked to like humans in a couple of days. Um, we, the, we barely count. <laughs> when, I was, when I was on the business side, the amount of times that I had to tell salespeople and buyers to take off their industry hat and put on their normal human being hat when thinking about the sponsored content that we were producing. Be like, look, if you saw this, would you click on it? Not once did they say yes. So then my immediate response is then, why do you want this? Well, because it's easy and we have money to spend. And it's sad. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is a weird place to have to wrap. Josh, but here we are. <laughs> you brought me to this place. <laughs> uh, seriously, though, thank you very much for taking oh, the thank time. Thank you for hanging with us. Uh, definitely going to pick your brain some more. This is an area I am extremely interested in uh, just because it is such an, uh, you know, who, who's watching the watchers? Uh, but uh, anyways, thank you very much. Hope you have a great rest of your uh, Sunday, by the way. Thanks for taking time out of your Sunday. Um, talk to you later. Yep. Talk, talk to you soon, soon. Thank you.